Hello, everyone. Welcome to Podbytes. I'm Valentina Kaladina, and I'm here with my co-host, Ariel Nissenblatt. Hi, Ariel. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to have a great show today. We are live on CastBox every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Podbytes is a live interactive show where we talk about the podcast industry. This is episode number 15. Now, you're listening to us on Livecast right now, so feel free to participate in the conversation. For questions and comments, you can call in or even text, and it would be really great to hear from you throughout the program. In Podbytes, we invite investors, podcasters, and other key opinion leaders to share their insights into the podcast industry. The show is recorded live and uploaded as a podcast episode afterwards. You can engage with other listeners and guests by dialing in or writing comments in real time. You can also send virtual gifts to the host to support the show. By the way, I just cashed out to my PayPal and it worked pretty well. Nice. So, yeah, really, you should try as well. Yeah. Uh, you can find previous episodes of the show in Replace. Just go to CastBox and search for Podbytes. Livecast is a feature within the CastBox app. It enables anyone to open a chat room and host a show. Listeners can tune in to listen. They can also interact with hosts by texting and even calling in. The purpose of Livecast is to make podcasting into more of an active medium. Hosts can now engage with their audiences in real time, and audiences can chat directly with their favorite hosts. Our schedule was a little wonky the last week or so, so that's the nature of having a live show. Yesterday, we interviewed Jeffrey Hatesled, who is an entrepreneur, C-suite executive, radio host, and podcaster. Check it out in your podcast feeds. In other news, CastBox will be at Podcast Movement next week from August 13 to August 16 in Orlando. So if you haven't booked your tickets yet, hurry up. Podcast Movement is a great way to meet all the important people in podcasting. We're so excited to meet everybody who's going to be at Podcast Movement. It's a huge event with lots of workshops, panel discussions, parties, and a lot more. The CastBox team will be there, and we'd love for you to stop by and say hello. Uh, we're running a contest during Podcast Movement to encourage you to become a livecaster. Come by and learn about it. There's also some amazing prizes, and you will not want to miss it. Look forward to see you guys there. Now back to the interview. Feel free to text us in the chat window or call in. Today, we are joined by Jay Connor. Jay is a Los Angeles-based writer, producer, consultant, and founder of Extraordinary Ideas, where he serves as the co-host and producer of the popular podcast, Extraordinary Negroes. In addition to serving as an editor at The Root, his work has been featured in prestigious outlets such as The New York Times, Pitchfork, The Root, Huffington Post, South by Southwest, Beach Media, CPS, and many others. Outside of his creative pursuits, Jay uses his multimedia platform to celebrate the accomplishments, opinions, and agency of marginalized groups, in addition to actively combating injustice, gender inequality, and the destigmatization of mental illness. Additionally, he is an accomplished speaker and panelist who lends his insights and commentary to outlets such as Sirius, Exam, and NPR. Hi, Jay. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Yeah, we really appreciate you being on the show. We know you're an important dude and that you're headed somewhere, but um, we'd love to catch you, chat with you a bit about all of your accomplishments and what's to come. So my first question is about extraordinary ideas. So 
that's your company. It's called Extraordinary Ideas. And within that, you have a podcast called The Extraordinary Negroes. First, um, would you give us some insight into the mission of Extraordinary Ideas and then how the podcast fits into it? Uh, yeah, the, the mission of Extraordinary Ideas is basically my umbrella company for my creativity. And what I do is I use that to support um, the creative endeavors of other people of color, with color whether it's consultations, whether it's uh, producing other events for other people, whether it's um, contributing creatively to other um, activities throughout the city. So it's been doing really well, continuing to build it out. Hopefully I'll be hiring a staff, a bigger staff soon. So um, that's the primary function of it. And how that rolls into Extraordinary Extraordinary Negroes is that was kind of like my first venture as far as that goes, I guess, as far as within, within the digital diaspora. And it took off, and I realized that I needed something that was more incompassive to everything else that I do. So that's why I founded Extraordinary Ideas. Cool. We, you and I, we, you and I know each other, and we've spoken a bit about this before. That what happened to your podcast is many people's dreams. That it took off really, really quickly. Can you tell us about that process? Yeah, it was just. Um, I initially moved out to LA in 2014 to be a screenwriter, like you know, thousands of other people do. Mm-hmm. And I soon realized in, in being a part of the Hollywood machine that in order to separate myself from everybody else, I had to do something to make myself like a thing. Because I looked at like people like, you know, LL Cool J or Jamie Foxx or whoever. And I was like, these people can do whatever they want to do because they're popular. So I figured if I made myself popular, I would, it would open the door for more writing opportunities and other stuff that I wanted to do. I was thinking like, man, how can I make myself popular? I just started writing on this TV show. What can I do? And, I, and I've always been a fan of podcasts. And I thought, well, I think I could pull this off. I think I could come up with something that would be pretty cool. And I hollered at my co-host, Alex um, Hardy. Well, actually, I kind of bullied him, to be <laughs> honest. Um, instead of hitting him up, him up directly... I posted on Facebook and I was like, hey, what would you guys think if I started a podcast? And I added him in the, like, in the post. And then like it got a lot of comments. We were like, yo, you guys should do that. That would be great. And from there, I just kind of, you know, quarterbacked it, put it together. Reached out to some friends of mine initially um, as far as like guests. And I think the first episode we had uh, was with um, Very Smart Brothers with Damon specifically just asking our friends because, you know, you're scared. You, nobody wants to be rejected when you're right. out to get a guest. But I was also very fortunate that the people within my immediate circle were successful. So um, with that first episode, I think it did like 12 or, 12 or 13,000. What? And I was like, oh, snap. Okay, we might be on to something. <laughs> so I said from that first episode, it was on. Yeah, a lot of people dream about that. And uh, it happened to you, I think, from a mixture of, you know, calling on the right people, you having the right attitude in starting it and whatever else goes into a successful launch. But from then, uh, how long has the podcast been going on? It's been going on since it launched in June 2016, I want to say. Um, the last year, the episodes have been a little bit more sporadic since my workload has magnified ridiculously. But I'm yeah. in talks now to resume episodes very soon. So um, that not. I felt kind of like I could be more valuable to the podcast community as a whole and doing things outside of just sitting in, you know, a, a studio and recording episodes. So that's how I started getting into yeah. being kind of like a podcast activist of sorts and like having conversations with Apple and, you know, other companies and 
hosting events and things of that nature and just being more of a greater contributor. Because when I first started, uh-huh. I thought it was super trash that um, a lot of the people that were kind of OGs in the game didn't have any information or weren't willing to pass down any information to people that were new. Yeah. And I promised myself that once I became like a certain level of success, that I would do the complete opposite and make sure that I look out for other people and help us all come along. So recording has kind of been like less of a priority for me ever since I've kind of adapted that mantra. But um, when you have like, you know, a lot of big name people hitting you up and being like, hey, we want to come on your show. And you're just like, eh. <laughs> so, so now I'm getting to a point where it's like, okay, I have to, I got to start balancing the two because it's clear that there's a demand for this. And I mean, even with the live events and I put them out in new episodes, they still do really good. So it's, it's, it's clear that, you know, people are still wanting me to get back to doing that. I just, I literally just had somebody ask me yesterday about coming on the show. So, um, oh, nice. yeah. So there's definitely still a demand for it. And I love that term podcast activist. I think a lot of people are podcast activists, but they don't even know it. And I think you might've coined a term. Well, go me. That's what's up. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So within the three years of running uh, the Extraordinary Negroes podcast, what is uh, a moment or two that stands out to you? A moment or two that stands out to me. I think one of the biggest moments that that stood out to me is like, it's one thing to see like download numbers and things like that. And that's cool. But it's always great whenever you kind of have like an outside validation of like the work you're doing. Because, you know, unless you get a tweet or somebody runs up on you on the street, you have no idea like who's, you know what I mean? It's not tangible. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the, one of a couple of the best examples was when like I ran into um, the assistant of like Beyonce's mom, Tina Knowles. And she that's was like, cool. yo, the, their whole family listens to your show. And I was what? like, what? So, I mean, um, and then, uh, and there's also been like, uh, you know, people doing different write-ups and stuff like that. We were also supposed to be doing something with uh, Marvel Studios whenever Black Panther was coming out. So I mean, it just shows. Um, unfortunately, because of the scheduling and everything, with you know, Marvel's a billion-dollar machine, and it's like if you don't get on their schedule, they're like, "Yo, we're out." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I mean, the fact that you know we had conversations with Marvel Studios, the fact that we had certain people that listen to our show and co-sign us. I mean, I think that that's just a testament of the, the content and the, and the reach we had and, you know, that we were going to something. Yeah. Wow. I'm amazed that the Knowles family listens to your podcast. That is big enough for everything. Two, two notes about us being a live show right now. So if you're listening live right now, you're welcome to write in. You're welcome to call in. We're going to take questions. And I have a question that I'm going to ask in a moment coming from Cropper Corn. Um, so, Jay, just get ready for that question. But in the meantime, because we're live, Jay, it sounds like your voice is getting a little funky there. So if you could maybe readjust your mic or something like that or your positioning with your cell phone. Um, so the question that comes from Croppercorn is, I am a preacher who loves to garden slash farm. What is the best way to jump into podcasting? I seamlessly mesh the two when I speak, but I am now working on how I can mesh the two into a podcast where I can give them both a balance. Do you have any uh, advice for Croppercorn on that? about farming? <laughs> no, about podcasting as a farmer and a preacher. What's the best way um, to jump into all that? I think the best way to do it is I'm not one of those people that's like one of the just do it people. I, I think that's terrible advice. I think, personally, I think you should listen to a lot of shows. You'll have an idea what what kind of format and structure you want to pursue prior to recording. I think if there's certain shows that you draw inspiration from, you should definitely do that. 
Um, I definitely think that um, after you kind of get a feel for what you want your show to, you know, the voice, you need to have a good idea who your, you know, quote-unquote avatar is. You need to know who your um, specific audience that you're targeting. Um, otherwise, it's hard to create a show for that person if you don't know who that show is going to be for. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think once you do those two things, then I would definitely say then go ahead and start recording. But I've never been on the just record. But yeah. I think, I think that's true for right? <laughs> you know, I feel that way too. I'm all about preparing for shows and for definitely being aware of the audience and speaking to the audience, knowing what your audience wants. And I think probably as a preacher, uh, Croppercorn, you, you probably have an idea of who you're reaching. And as a farmer, you also, you know, that you want to uh, reach people who are maybe faith-based and also in interested in gardening and farming. And it sounds like you have a, an interesting cross-section of people that you probably already know who they are. So that's um, a good place to start. Thank you, Jay, for that advice. In the meantime, uh, Cropper Corn says he's doing that as we speak. He says he's doing all of that. So, Cropper Corn, if you have any more uh, questions to ask us, we're happy to get more specific with advice. Totally open to d diving deeper with you on that. Tell us a little bit about, let's see, thank you for confirming my continual actions. Yes, of course. It, it feels good to know what people, it feels good to hear from people who are doing it that you're doing it the right way. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. Uh, as a reminder to, to everybody, we are a live show. Because of that, you can call in, you can text in, and we will take those calls and we will answer those questions. So please feel free to ask any questions. We are interviewing Jay Connor, the founder of Extraordinary Ideas and the podcast, The Extraordinary Negroes. We're talking right now about his podcast and about being a podcast activist. So um, back to chatting about your podcast and your larger mission as a podcast activist. Um, yeah. What would you say is the overall mission of your podcast and how do you think it fits into the larger context of podcasting in 2019? I think the overall mission of our podcast is really to, my, my biggest thing when I came in is that like there was a lot of shows. It's, it's, it's far less that way now, but when it first, when we first came along, there was like a, a big divide. Either shows were like super like lighthearted and then key, key, key funny, or they were like super serious. <laughs> and I've always been a guy that likes to have like really in-depth conversations, but I wanted to find a way to do what I call like, you know, edutainment, you know what I mean? Like to touch really meaningful topics, um, but infuse humor to kind of make them lighthearted and really kind of touch people. Because like, if I tell you how to buy a car, you're going to start, your eyes are going to gloss over you and get bored. You're going to be like, yo, why are we talking about this? But yeah. if I'm cracking jokes, if we're acting like we're at like a bar, we're drinking, and I'm telling you how to buy a car during that, when you leave, you're going to remember how to buy a car. So, I mean, that's kind of been like the premise of the show is that like we find lighthearted ways to really address like, you know, really serious subjects, whether it's toxic masculinity, whether it's financial literacy, you know, whether it's fatherhood, you know, just all kinds of really meaningful uh, subjects and just really finding a good way to connect with our audience. And I think we've succeeded in doing that. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. What, what, what have been some of your um, podcast inspirations maybe from when you started and then also from throughout your, the tenure of your podcast? Yeah, I would, I, I tell people all the time, man, like the two, the shows that, that provided like the biggest basis of like what I drew inspiration from when I created it was definitely combat Jack. He was uh -oh. a tremendous, yeah. tremendous, tremendous, tremendous influence on me personally. Um, he was one of my heroes. I mean, the guy changed my life and, wow. you know, to the podcast game because 
podcasting has brought me all kinds of opportunities as a byproduct of becoming that or becoming a podcaster. And there's not a chance in hell I would have ever it would have ever happened had I not listened to the show. So definitely Combat Jack. He's the he's the podfather. Wow. Um, and outside of that, another show that I was greatly influenced by in trying to develop like a format of the show was Fan Bros. So shout out to um Fan Bros. They talk about like, you know, black nerd culture. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always intrigued by like taking audience questions and breaking it up into like different segments and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I got to do stuff like that to really kind of understand how to go about getting the show to the people. So those two shows definitely had a tremendous impact. And I actually met Chico Leo of Fan Bros when I came to New York and I think it was 2016, 2017. And I told him, it's always dope whenever you get to tell people their impact and their influence on you. And I told Combat Jack the same thing the two or three times I ran into him. Wow. So he was actually supposed to come on our show prior to his passing. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. Yeah, I think uh, nowadays a lot of people jump into the podcast space without you know doing their research, figuring out who they want to emulate and who they want to innovate upon. And I think it's definitely important to have your heroes within the space. I think it's trash when people just like steal stuff. Yeah. Or just blatantly copy stuff. Yeah. I, I, but I mean, that's just my opinion. Very, very wealthy men will tell you otherwise. But as a creator, I love to create. But I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with drawing inspiration and emulating what other people have done and building upon it. And as people looking to get into this space, I strongly recommend you do that because there's a show for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Switching gears a little bit to the localization of podcasting. Um, you're based in Los Angeles. Um, you do a lot of community activism within Los Angeles and within the podcast space. Do you think that Los Angeles is unique as a podcasting landscape when it comes to events that take place here, when it comes to meetups and other workshops that help people become podcasters? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's unique, but I, I think that's also inherent to the location just because LA is such a hotbed for creatives, whether, you know, you're wanting to be in Hollywood, whether you're wanting to be in, you know, whatever else, um, in Silicon Beach too. So, I mean, I think that there's just such a, a, a amalgamation of different characters and creators that like, it kind of bleeds into the content that we create. But I, I also think that a lot of people out here don't do a good enough job of taking advantage of the people that are out here creating community, whether it's yourself, whether it's me, whether it's whoever else, you know what I mean? Cause I think yeah. that, a lot of people just kind of like hide in their houses and record when if, if where if you're trying to make some some leeway in, a, in an industry, you got to connect. You got to collaborate. You have to establish relationships. If I'm an actor, I'm not going to get anywhere if I don't get out the house and meet agents and you know network and do all that stuff. And podcasting works a lot of the same way because mm-hmm. everybody I know that's popping in this space has valuable relationships elsewhere. I can't think of anybody I know who locks themselves in their house and is really out here making moves. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things that I really had to like embrace because I told myself when I first started, like, yo, I'm going to be out here getting it. And everybody I know that are, you know, even my friends within the podcast space, all of us, you know, attend podcasting events or, you know, attend panels, you know, just as far as like learning and collaborating and building those relationships so that we can all find a way to help each other and work collaboratively and collectively so i definitely think that california is a great location to do so but i think not enough of us take advantage of what's available to us yeah. even being outlier so mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So Jay's referring to um, the Outlier Podcast Festival, and we had Ever on the show a few weeks ago. As a reminder, uh, Outlier Podcast Festival is a traveling podcast festival that goes to different cities throughout the U.S. where there are podcasting communities, whether they're big or small. And um, they try to find creators who are doing funky things within the industry. And um, yeah, it's a really great opportunity to get out of your house and meet the local community because it's true that when you have fans in real life, that translates to fans on the podcast as well. So I think it's definitely helpful to, that's great advice to get out there and uh, learn from people. Yeah, go ahead. One more thing I want to say too, is that like, I think a big problem that a lot of people entering the podcast space come into is that they approach it as like, get rich scheme or something like that like oh i'm gonna start this and or they just kind of approach it as kind of like a hobby and my thing is like i personally i'd rather somebody approach it as a hobby than a get rich scheme because when you decide that you want to be an artist you're not drawing or painting or sculpting because you want to get money you're doing it because it's something that you love and eventually you practice and practice and practice your craft until you're like yo i'm actually really dope at this and i can sell this and i think a lot of podcasters don't have that mindset they don't understand that it's a craft and it's something that you have to practice and get better at. So, I mean, I think a lot of people put the cart before the horse and expect like, yo, how, how can I monetize? And it's like, you're not there yet. You're not right. at that point. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that a lot of people got to get out of that mindset and really understand that it's a craft just like everything else, whether it's, you know, karate or playing basketball or, you know, whatever else. So, yeah. Yeah. You got to get good at I've got a question here. Speaking about the networking, you mentioned that the first episode of your podcast got about 12,000 listens. Do you know how many, or can you guess how many of them were coming from your offline network? Probably not that many. I mean, I think that, well, I, I mean, I think at that, because that was our first episode, so I didn't have an off, really have an offline network. But at the same time, I don't, I think another mistake people make is that when they pursue something creatively they think that their friends are supposed to support them mm-hmm. um your friends are not your target demo your friends are not your target audience all the time. Yeah. you know what i mean and i think a lot of times people get humbled when they realize like yo why don't my friends buy my shirt or why don't they attend my events or why don't they listen to my podcast i me i treat my friends like a bonus i'm like if they if they're into it cool but you're not my target demo so i'm not really out here running behind you trying to get you to check out what i'm doing Absolutely. So that that's a good transition for us into um, your event that you did first in December and then again in June. Extraordinary Ideas is more than just a media venture for you. You've also yeah. had these events. Can you tell us more about the Extraordinary Evening for Podcasters of Color? Yeah, the Extraordinary Evening um, is a twice a year event. Initially, I wanted to do it quarterly, but I was like, I don't have the bandwidth. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so I'll stick to twice a year. So every June and December... It's an event specifically celebrating the accomplishments and contributions of people of color within the digital diaspora, podcasting specifically. And part of the reason why I did it is honestly, I just kept going to different conferences and panels and workshops, and I never saw people that looked like me, and I thought it was whack. And I was just like, I didn't understand how I know so many people that contribute to this space, but I don't ever see them either here. I don't ever see them at these events or they just, whatever, for whatever reason it is, they're, they're in short supply. So I thought, well, why aren't, you know, the bigger name companies producing events um, that target that? And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and it never happened. And I just got to a point where I just was like, yo, 
if I don't do this myself, nobody's ever going to do this. So I kind of realized that in order to pull it off, I mean, I'm basically the only person capable of pulling it off at that point. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that now, but I would definitely say at that point I was the only person capable of pulling it off just because I was really the only person that had strong relationships and kind of like a built up reputation within like multiple demographics. You know what I'm saying? Like there are certain people yeah. that are strong in one demographic or another, but I felt like I had a really good rapport with a lot of people and to cover all my bases. So prior to um, kicking it off, I knew before I did it, I had to get my weight up as far as like strengthening my re- relationships universally throughout the podcast space. So for about like seven or eight months beforehand, actually maybe even like nine, I attended like every conference, every panel, every workshop, everything I could to just strengthen my relationships so that when it was time to holler at sponsors and like, you know, really get support for what it was that I was wanting to do, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, Um, you're a strategic guy. So, yeah, whenever I decided to pull the trigger, it was not a problem. And if anything, I was surprised by how much support I got um, or received from it. So it's, you know, continuing to build it out. The last time was at uh, YouTube space, which is really dope. And they've been amazing partners and they're definitely interested in doing some other stuff. So yeah, just, you know, continuing to find ways to celebrate us. Um, and I also want to do something that's a little bit more smaller in between the big ones. So I'm mm-hmm. in the middle of doing that. That might be either September or October. Um, oh, so yeah, just finding ways to celebrate us. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that's been really profound. And I always love the reaction to get from people. Um, who attend because every time I do it, all I hear is like, man, like we don't have this. This is amazing. Right. Like you're really, you know, being a revolutionary out here because this is something that literally doesn't exist um, until you decided to create it. So I'm just glad that I'm in a position to give back to my community like I um, yeah. aspired to whenever I first started. Nice. That's great. So we, as CastBox, we were lucky enough to be sponsors of the recent event, which was at the YouTube space. Um, I thought it was an amazing event. It was the first one that I was able to make it to. Uh, did you feel like it was successful? I guess, uh, what does success look like to you in uh, in terms of this event? That's a great question. Um, I think success for me, people come and like they got, um, they came away uh, uh, happy and fulfilled. I guess, you know, the, the degree of fulfillment is the best way for me to gauge whether or not the event is successful or not. Um, the, the buzz afterwards, whether it's write-ups, whether it's, you know, people hitting me up, just really getting that conversation started and people kind of getting that battery in their back that there are people out there to help you. There are people out there to listen. Cause, I mean, my biggest thing, like, people ask, like, why it starts with a little bit of a mixer. And that's mm-hmm. because, like, where else are you going to see a bunch of pies in the same space <laughs> you know what i mean collaboration is so key and a lot of times yeah. we see like meetups and things like that but we don't go because based upon either by who's throwing it or who we see is on the guest list we're gonna be like ah oh, i don't see any other you know people of color so it ain't for me you know what I mean? yeah so you and so space. they have yeah, the opportunity to really see like oh snap yeah yeah, yeah so they have well, opportunity but- to be like yo like so I know that you have a plan for future events like this one and keep us updated on the event that you hope to happen between the two big ones. We'd love to be involved somehow. Um, and for now, I'm going to pass along the interview to Valentina, who's going to continue chatting with you about your life pre-podcast. 
Or actually, it's not uh, not exactly okay. pre-podcast, I would say, because we wanted to talk about uh, your career as a writer and as a journalist, because we believe it's a big part of yourself, of who you are, of you uh, as a creative person. Yeah. As we know, in 2014, you moved to L.A. from Phoenix to chase your dream to become a screenwriter. Yeah. Did you did you already you already have ongoing projects at that time? No, oh. I moved out here like everybody else. I was just like, I moved out here like everybody else and was like, I'm gonna find a way to get in a writer's room. So, so no, I didn't have anything. I didn't I didn't know anybody out here. I had to forge relationships and just really get it popping. And uh, I believe you started your bachelor's course at the California State University about the same time. Is it tr- uh, correct? No, I, I think I think it was 2014. Yeah, because I wanted to get a, I wanted to finish that degree. So yeah, I think it was 2014. So that's an uh, an incredible dedication, and uh, also I believe it was a huge investment of time and resources. Where is your motivation coming from? It is coming from I, I guess in part because I'm I have a son, <laughs> and he's not free, and I you know I, I want to make sure that I create an amazing life for him that he deserves. And also just a matter of just being a creative, you know, kind of stepping into your fate, embracing my contributions to this world. So, yeah, I think it's the combination of the two. Right. That's amazing. I would like to talk uh, more about the TV series that you were involved. So I believe you were involved into screenwriting for the historical TV series called Strange Angel, produced by CBS. Yeah. It tells the story of Jack Parsons, who was an American rocket engineer. He pioneered a few innovations in the rocket science, and then he became a supporter of the Telema religious movement. Could you tell us the story behind the, this project, including your work with Mark Heyman, who is best known for co-writing Black Swan? Yeah. Um, yeah how did, I mean, how did you start working on this project? When I first got out here, I established a relationship with um, the Hayman Network. And through that, I think it's been like three years. Through that, they started, AMC started producing and de- or developing the show for um, Strange Angel. And then once they got the writer's room together, that's how I became a part of it. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great show. I think it's still on the air. I was only involved with the first season, but I think it's still mm-hmm. on the air now. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a really good opportunity to kind of create with some really smart and incredible writers. Um, we got to do some interesting uh, things as far as research, as far as like, you know, going to the college and the institute that Jack Parsons attended. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just really dope to be a part of that collaborative um, writing experience, because as a writer, uh, a lot of times it's spent in solitude. And as a screenwriter, it's way more collaborative because you're working with 12 other people. You have your showrunner, you have your executive producer, and then you have every other writer that's writing a specific episode. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really dope process. Mm-hmm. Was it the book adaptation? <laughs> I think it was called from his book or I can't really remember what specifically he pulled the, he pulled the uh, Bible and the pilot from. I can't remember if it was like a book or if he just, it was a combination of different things. But it might have been like his, his memoir or something like that. Was it your first, very first project as a screenwriter? As a reminder for our listeners, we're live on Livecast, so please feel free to write in with questions or press the phone button at the bottom of the screen. You can call in. Okay, it was a show called NBC, or, or Warrior um, Princess on NBC, but it wasn't picked up 
And I also worked on a few short films and things of that nature, too. And a couple other projects that I'm not at liberty to publicly disclose. And so, you know, those NDAs. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, out of curiosity, why didn't you continue with uh, season two with The Strange Angel? I put out the podcast while we were working on that show and the podcast just blew up and I was just like, well, I don't have to be here anymore. <laughs> so that's literally why, I mean, you know, I just, I saw that I was blowing up elsewhere and I was like, it's more in line with what it is that I, you know, with me being in control of my destiny and calling the shots, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm making that move. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, the podcast blew up because I was at a point where I was, when you're supposed to be in the, in the writer's room writing, I was in there editing episodes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't expect the podcast to blow up that fast, but, you know. Okay. Last question about Strange Angel. When you started working for that, because it's really became famous and people love it. When you start working for the Strange Angel, did you have a feeling that your dream came true finally? No. Oh. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't a show, it wasn't a show that I was particularly enthused about. I mean... You know, when you're a screenwriter, it's not always about the show that you want to do. It's about the show that'll pay your bills. So um, I was grateful for the opportunity. But I mean, it's kind of like being an actor. You're not always going to play roles that you love. But a lot of times it'll be the role that'll keep the lights on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I never I never for one second was was working on that show and thinking like, oh, man, like I made it. Like it was just like, okay, well, this is kind of what I set out to do. So. Right. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about your involvement into these two uh, different domains. You're pretty successful as a podcaster and event organizer, at least to to the outsider as myself. And I definitely see that you are recognized by the podcasting community and you're respected among podcasters of color. They appreciate all the work you are doing to support those groups that are underrepresented. And on the other hand, the screenwriter career is really hard to pursue it's competitive and you probably need to invest a handful of resources to build your relationships with the producer. So while as a podcaster, this seems to work easier, as, as you mentioned, it's more, it's more smooth and um, it's just, uh, it already happened. Have you ever thought that you should focus on podcasting and events and stuff like that and probably consulting and give up the screenwriting part? I already don't really screenwrite anymore. So, I mean, I stopped screenwriting in like 2016 i mean i'm still like involved in it in some level but yeah i haven't really been like going hard on screenwriting for years and i actually um i mean i still like i said i still help you know a lot of different writers and stuff with their projects but for the most part it's primarily you know the podcasting thing and um, journalism and speaking are you okay with that uh yeah (laughs) i mean i think as of late um i've got a little bit of an itch and embracing a little bit more of the uh, uh, screenwriting side. But for the most part, I think journalism provides a little bit more of an instant gratification for me and an instant way of getting content and my ideas and things out. Because, you know, screenwriting can take months. And by the time the show gets greenlit, it might be a good year, you know, year and change, year or whatever, before it sees the light of day if not years. Whereas with an article, I can write an article today and get edited tomorrow and be out by Friday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And be, you know, equally as impactful. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate to have many, many articles that got millions of views and downloads and, you know, things like that nature and whatever else. So 
that have ended with me have getting invited to come on MSNBC or CNN or Entertainment Tonight or whatever else. So, yeah, I, I feel like screenwriting is definitely a creative outlet, but I don't think it's the definitive one for me. I think it's one of many that I always dabble in. I see. I see. Uh, you also work for The Root. I believe you still work for them as a journalist, yeah. as, an, as an editor. For those who don't know, The Root is online magazine, Afrocentric progressive magazine, as they call themselves. For The Root, you work not only as a journalist, but also you're involved in some managerial work, I believe. Which part do you enjoy the most? Well, primarily, I'm just a, I'm I'm st I'm a staff writer now. I used to be the weekend editor. Yeah, I used to be the weekend editor, but now I'm a full time staff writer. So primarily focused on the editorial aspect mm -hmm. of it. And um, I love to write. I love to express my thoughts and opinions. I love to educate people. I love to provide my insight into how I feel about certain things. I don't always enjoy the death threats and hate mail and all the other no, craziness, but um, yeah, I love to write. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about creativity. In your interviews, you were saying that you have always been creative and you were always seen as a gifted student while at school. Uh, yeah. Now, now being an adult, can you answer to this question clearly? What are the roots of your creativity? Is it from the family or from your school or from your friends? What would you say? I think it's just a culmination of just my experiences, whether it was, you know, being in the military, whether it was my family environment and the things I was I exposed to. I think you've lived 10 lives. Yeah, I, I, I was actually, yeah, I just was on a podcast like two days ago and they were like, dude, you had like 18 careers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just a culmination of just all my experiences. And I also think that I just have an irrational sense of confidence that like when I just decide to do something, I just do it. And most people might have some reservations or fears and be like, I don't know if I can pull this off. And mm -hmm. I always feel like I can, um, maybe because I've been very lucky in that I've been able to be successful in all 57 of my careers. But um, yeah, I think it's just a culmination of my different experiences and just being driven and just uh, wanting to inspire others. Do you think it's uh, it helped you when you changed your career? Do you think that this switch, when you do the switch many times, does it help to to nurture your creativity? I don't think so. I mean, I think it might inspire certain things that I might write about because I'm more knowledgeable on certain things. Like I can write about the military because I've been in it. I can write about social, you know, social worker because I've been a social worker. I can write about what it's like in a writer's room because, so I mean, I think it might inform the content that I create, but I don't know if it necessarily inspires it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, that was very insightful, and I really enjoyed that you shared some so many insights. And uh, I think we had a few more comments from the listeners. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Cropper Corn again wrote, "Hey, brother Jay, do you have a fashion designer that you use on your screenplays?" Oh yeah, I think it was a little bit outdated. <laughs> A fashion designer that I use in my screenplays? Yeah. Do, I don't even understand yeah. the question. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's fine. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before so we wrap up. No, I don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's fine. Before we wrap up, the, uh, just a quick reminder, if you guys have questions or if you have any comments or you want to call in, just please don't hesitate. 
Very excited to um, have had Jay on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we hope you have a fun at the event you're headed to right now. And um, yeah. yeah, and uh, we'll see you soon, and we'll definitely look out for the things that you're up to. Okay, cool, cool. Sounds good. Thank you guys for your time. Yeah, yeah. have a great day. Thanks. That's a wrap for the show this week, and you were listening to the Pod Bites. I'm Valentina Caladina, and here also was Ariel Nissenblatt. We were joined by Jay Connor, who is a successful podcaster, event planner, and community leader. I think he already disconnected, but anyways, Jay, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening and asking questions. Please make sure you subscribe to the show. You can click on the show picture. There is a follow button. Please make sure you click it so you will receive push notification when we go live next time. Also, you can see upcoming live shows on the Livecast page of CastBox. Use the app, call in, ask questions, and interact with your favorite hosts. We'll see you next week. Bye.